Well, here we are, still going through, working through these books and um, looking at kind of how they're all connected, like Carl said, and I'm just going to review a little bit where we can't have been so far, so that if you haven't been here, you can kind of get caught up a little bit. And we started out with Genesis chapter 12 and, and chapter 15, and we looked at the promise and the covenant that God made to Abraham, and he said that he's going to make his descendants into a great people, too numerous to count, and that the whole world would be blessed through his descendants and through his lineage. And that was a promise that God made back in Genesis. Then we jumped to Exodus chapter 20 and we saw the Ten Commandments and we looked at how God said what, what we might think as restrictions. He's really actually telling us this is the way to live the good life. To, to not do these things, but to do the opposite of those things. Not to have graven Im- images and not to worship other gods, but to worship the one true God. Not to steal from one another, but to, to, to let each other grow and, and, and earn and, and have things that we can bless each other with. Not to kill one another. We should be concerned about life. And so he, he put out this blueprint about what this life, the blessing would look like. If they're going to bless the nations, what would it look like? And the Ten Commandments was that place that we began to see how God saw how we should relate to him and we should relate to one another. And then we had that, I thought, a awesome passage last week with Leviticus 16, and we looked at the Day of Atonement. And we talked about ultimately how the whole world would be blessed by the descendant of Abraham, Jesus, who would come and who would be the sacrifice of atonement, and that anybody that put their faith in him could have their sins forgiven and cleansed and washed away. The ultimate and greatest gift that this blessing was to be was Jesus who would come and do all of that. And now we pick up the thread in the book of Numbers. And what's happened in the book of Numbers, you saw a little bit in the review video. They've been out in the wilderness. They've grumbled for all these years. And then they get to the edge of the promised land. And the, um, the spies go in. And, and they look in the promised land. And they go, no way, man. This is too big. The, the, it's too big of an enemy. We can't win. They come back and they tell everybody, don't go in. We can't win. Two spies said, hey, God is with us. This will work. We can go into the promised land. But because of the grumbling of the people, they spent the next 38 years wandering in the desert so that there was 40 years of wandering. And that whole generation dies off. And now they get to this place where they're back getting ready to go in again. And this is what happens in in Exodus chapter 20. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried. Now, we just start out this chapter by just looking at this very interesting character. And what we're going to see here in in this whole chapter, we're going to not get to the end of it, which is when Aaron dies. But Miriam and Aaron both die in this chapter. And Moses has this encounter with God in which he's going to find out that he can't go into the promised land. But what I just wanted to remind us as we look at these characters, as we look at Miriam, as we look at Aaron, we're going to see that they are very complicated figures in the Bible. And the beauty of the Bible, I think, is that the complicated nature of human beings is shown over and over again. And the reason I think that's so beautiful is because our lives are complicated. We're complicated people, and we fail, and we struggle. They fail numerous times. Miriam and Aaron will fail numerous times. And if you had had the chance to read through these books as we've been going through this series, you're going to see the multiple times that they've messed up. And they will face his just judgment because of that. Aaron had some issues that happened, and he, builds, he makes the golden calf, and he's going to pay some consequences for that. Miriam complains and grumbles against Aaron and against God, and she's going to have some consequences uh, for that. But they also worshipped him and served him. 
and they praised him. And Aaron was one of the priests that could go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement. And Miriam was one who wrote songs of praise. It's just this beautiful picture, I think, of the complexity of human beings and human nature. And yet God is, God's mercy is abundant. And so what we hope today in, in this message, and I say we because it's also getting preached over at the Lincoln Park campus, is that we're going to see God's just judgment and yet the abundant mercy that God has as well. And we see it even in Aaron and Miriam, God's great mercy that he shows in their lives. These two that are, on one hand, they're going the right direction and serving, and all of a sudden, boom, they, they veer off and go another direction, and they're in rebellion. Most of us, if we're honest, could raise our hands and say, yeah, I get that. It's been part of my journey sometimes, too. But it starts out and gives us this context that Moses is probably going through a grieving process as well. He just lost his sister. She's passed away. And then this thing happens where what happens next is they're in this place where there's no water and the whole assembly, and we're talking about assembly, we're talking about two million people. Two million people are gathering and grumbling against Moses and Aaron. So kind of put yourself in his shoes, and I always think it's important that we use our imagination and think through that these are real people who lived in real history, and these stories are real. And so here's this guy who just lost his sister, and now two million people are grumbling against him. That's got to be a hard spot. And, and he, it's interesting what he's going to do here, but just, let's just step back and take a look at the picture. There's no water. That's the problem. Here's the problem. There's no water. The people assemble against him, and so he's got two problems. There's no water, and now he's got people assembling against him, and they're rebelling against him and Moses, and they're, uh, him and Aaron, and they're complaining. Interesting thing that they don't do, they don't cry out to God. They come and complain. They don't ask for God to answer their need, and they don't cry out to him to, to meet that need at that moment which God had done for years and years and years, they, they grumble and they complain. You know, problems, I always have this statement that problems are just things to be solved. If you have a problem in life, problems are things that just need to be solved, and God can solve them. He'll use us to figure out solutions, but they're going to come from his will and from his spirit. And when there are issues and problems, there are just things to be resolved and figured out and fixed. And here's this problem, they have no water. Instead of sitting down and trying to figure out a solution, they come and complain and grumble. And it's a beautiful picture of what Moses and Aaron do, because they haven't always done this right. There's been other times when they've gotten frustrated and they responded in certain ways. But look at what they do in verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces. Put yourself again in their shoes. Human beings, he just loses his sister. He's been leading this group for 40 years. Two million people are complaining against him. And they decide to go to the tent and meetings, and they fall on their face. They do the right thing. They come to God, and they fall on their faces. They bow, and they lament, and they cry out to God for help. You know, there are different types of responses when we come into great crisis. Here's some of the ways we respond when we face crises. One is people walk away from God. They don't even interact at all, which actually is a type of interaction. But they walk away from God and they say, God, I, I'm just leaving this. I'm not dealing with this. I, I, I'm angry at you and I'm just walking away. 
Other times when we have great crisis and great struggle, we cry out to God in anger and sometimes even in rebellion. We say, why did you do this? Or why did you let this happen? And because you did this, I'm just going to be angry at you and I'm just going to argue against you and I don't want anything to do with you. So some people walk away. Some people spend their time just arguing with God. Or we could respond like Moses and Aaron. What did Moses and Aaron do? They fell and they cried out to God for help. They, they fell on their face and they said, God, we are in a tight spot here. There's a hard thing going on. We're in a great crisis. We don't know what to do. Two million people are complaining. There's no water. We don't have the means to get the water. So we're just going to cry out to you for help. It's actually just a perfect picture of what we're supposed to do. And then look how the Lord responds. The Lord doesn't say, oh, Moses and Aaron, man, you guys again? You're coming to me again? This is a God who's merciful. He wants to bless his people. He wants to care for his people. And so they fall down on their faces and they say, Lord, we need help. And the glory of the Lord appears to them. I just think this is a a great picture for us to see how God wants to respond to us when we are in those places of going, I don't know what else to do. And I only have one place to turn and it's to you. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. They fell on their faces and they cried out and the glory of the Lord appeared. I want to recommend that response to you when you're going through a crisis and something hard. When there is a problem that seems like you can't solve it, fall on your face before the Lord. Cry out to the Lord and let the glory of the Lord figure it out. Now, he's going to use people, and he's going to use us working together um, to solve things. But this picture is a powerful picture. After all these years of serving the Lord, Moses knows that this is where he's going. He's going to the altar, and he's going to be down on his face, crying out to the Lord. And I just think it's a beautiful picture of the Lord's faithfulness, because the glory of the Lord appears to them. And then God gives him some instructions. So the glory appears, and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the staff, and I want you to go out, and I want you to tell the rock to give up its water in front of everybody so they can see my provision. This is important because you have to look carefully at what God told Moses and Aaron to do. And this is an important part of this, uh, of this message this morning. First, before the people's eyes, in their sight, so that they could see the merciful provision of God. Despite their grumbling, God was just going to give them water this time. In the past, they had grumbled, and sometimes God said, okay, because you're grumbling, this is what's going to happen. And there's some judgment that happens, and then he'll show them mercy. They wanted food. He shows a little judgment, and then he sends them manna. They wanted water in another spot in the Old Testament, and and he shows them a little judgment because they're grumbling, and then he gives them water. This time... God was just going to give them water. There was no judgment and there was no uh, discipline on this one. He was just going to grant their water, grant their requests and give them water. So God just tells Aaron, just go out there, talk to the rock, and they're going to get water. And then they would see the great merciful provision of God. Even though they were grumbling, God was going to do this. The second thing was that they were supposed to speak to the rock. So they were just supposed to go out and give the people water. And then they were supposed to speak to the rock, calmly speak to the rock. God's just going to provide for his people. They weren't supposed to go out there and give them a sermon. They weren't supposed to go out there and scold them for their grumbling. God was just going to be merciful and just give them water. 
This week, my son Josh and I, and for those who don't know Josh, he's 13, and we were doing devotions together, and we were doing John chapter 6, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And we go through it, and usually the questions I ask him after we get done reading a passage is, what, what, why is this here, and what do we learn about God? And, and he says, well, it's here because God wanted to show people that Jesus had the power to do this, that he was God. And that's why he could turn the, you know, the, the, the fish and the bread into multiply it all so that 5,000 people could be fed. And I said, you're absolutely right. He, he did this to show that Jesus had the power of God, that he was God and that he could do this. And then I said, but there's one other really practical thing. Why else did he do this? And he thought about it for a second. He said, well, because they were hungry, Dad. <laughs> and I said, Absolutely. They were hungry, and God wanted to meet their need. God cared about the fact that they were hungry. Now, why do I share that? Because in this passage, God cared about the fact that his two million people didn't have water. And he was going to show them that he was a God who was merciful and compassionate and cared about those things. That their grumbling, even though they shouldn't have grumbled, their request was legit. They needed water. They were going to they were going to die out there in the wilderness without it. So they had a legit request. They just came at it from the wrong way. And he's also going to do this because he simply cared and wanted them to know how much he cared and that he would be the one that provide, would provide for them because as they entered into the promised land, they needed to know that he was going to be the one that was going to go before them and he was going to provide even the simplest things like water. And third, I think this is important um, that we see this too. Not only was he supposed to just speak to the rock, and, and not only was he supposed to just come out and do it, he wasn't supposed to address the people at all. God did not instruct him. This is important. God did not instruct him to say anything. And we're going to look in, in a moment of why that's so important. Because he wasn't supposed to say anything. God didn't tell him to. He was just supposed to go out and give him water. So what happens? Verses 9, 10, Moses goes out, takes the staff. Then Moses and Aaron, they gather the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, okay, remember what I just said. He wasn't instructed to say anything. And now he is speaking. He's the spokesman for God. This is why this gets so serious. Here he is, the spokesman for God, and now this is what he says. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? He wasn't supposed to say anything. And what he does say is he calls them rebels. He's scolding them. He's confronting them. And then he says, we, should we bring water from this rock? Now remember, we don't know all of what's going on inside of Moses. His sister just died. A whole generation of people have been raised up in the desert. And now they're grumbling just like the past generation that he led. He's been in this role for 40 years and probably thinking he should be heading for retirement at some place here. And he was maybe tired of dealing with some of the same old stuff. Who knows, but that doesn't change the fact that he speaks to God's people as God's spokesman, spokesman in a way and in a manner which God had not instructed him to do. God had not told him to scold them. God had not told him to call them rebels. God had not told him to belittle them or to confront them. And he definitely didn't tell him that he should use we language. <laughs> we meaning me, Moses, and God. We had to do this. It appears at this moment, after 40 years of wandering, God 
who's not going to respond with any kind of message of confrontation with his people. He wasn't going to call them out for their grumbling. He was simply going to show them mercy at this point. He was just going to show them mercy and provide for them. And I wonder if maybe some of you have had that experience in your own life. Or maybe you've complained and rebelled, and God just showed up and showed you nothing but mercy. Have you been there? You you didn't get a consequence. You didn't get some sort of judgment. You, You were doing your own thing. You were grumbling. And God just shows up, and he decides just to show you nothing but mercy. That's what he does here. I've been there. Mine usually is the grumbling side. (laughs) Grumbling about something. And then God just shows up and doesn't say, sometimes I've had those consequences, but sometimes he just shows up and says, I'm just going to show you mercy right now. I don't know why you're in the, well, he does. Why I'm in the spot that I'm in, but he says, I know why. I know what's going on in your heart, and maybe it's all legitimate struggle you're going through. I'm just going to show you mercy right now. And if you've been there, well, you know you should have had some other kind of response. And God did nothing but show you mercy. I think it's important that we remember that and we grab onto that and we remember that he is a merciful God. And so here they are out there and God just says, you know what? You're thirsty. You're tired. I'm just going to show you mercy. And Moses decides to take the opportunity to take and do his own thing and not be obedient to God and go his own way. And he gets up there and he scolds the people. Why this is so important, you guys, is is when we talk about God and we speak for God as his people, we should be speaking from his word, right? Because that's where I know I'm speaking the truth and speaking rightly. But there are times that we get going and we think we're speaking for God when God hasn't told us to speak. When God hasn't told us to say the things that we've said. And it's important that as we look at this passage that we think about the fact that you and I sometimes can say things and do things that are not representing God at all when we think we are. And Moses gets up there and he does this and God says, "Uh uh-uh. Now we're going to see the just judgment. Okay? God is just in this and he says, listen, first... You disobeyed me by striking the rock, and we see that in verse 11. Now he's going to lift up, and he's going to hit the rock. He's going to hit him twice, hit him, hit the rock twice. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. But he's speaking on God's behalf, not speaking the words of God, which is serious. Then he disobeys by hitting the rock. And despite his disobedience... And in spite his attitude, and despite what he's doing as the leader, God has mercy on the people, and he brings water out of the rock. God could have said, okay, Moses, you're going to be responsible for all these people not getting water because you weren't obedient. But here's the other part. There's God's just judgment is going to come out against Moses, but God's mercy is getting shown right here what he's going to get water to the people when they desperately need it. They need living water. And we're going to see that connection in the New Testament. They need this water to live. And God, in his mercy, provides it. But now God's just judgment comes out against Moses and Aaron. Look at what he says in verse 12. 
because you did not believe in me. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? He's saying, you didn't believe in me. Your actions tell me that you did not believe in me, that all you had to do is speak, and I was going to be merciful to my people. So somehow in all of this, what was going on in their hearts was an act of unbelief. And it says they did not believe. And he said, you did not uphold the Lord as holy in the eyes of the people. Why? Why wasn't it that, why was it that they, God said, you didn't hold me up as holy? How does that connect? Because they misrepresented him. They made him sound like he was discontent, just like they were. Did you see what happened here? Moses, representing God, sounded like Moses. <laughs> and God is saying, you didn't uphold me as holy in front of the people because you made me sound just like you. You made me sound the way that you think and feel as a human being. And I'm God. And so that was really powerful for me this week as I was working on this message and reading commentators and, and seeing that idea that the reason that he says, you didn't uphold me as holy as you spoke about me in a way that was careless. You spoke about me in a way that wasn't true. You spoke about me in a way that represented me to the people as if I was like one of them, that I was grumbly and complaining and upset with you, and that I called them rebels, and I called them this and that. And Moses spoke on behalf of God in a way that was not what God said. And so he said, you, you diminished my holiness when you do that. That was powerful for me this week, reminding me that whenever I speak about the Lord or speak on his behalf as I preach or teach or represent him, that I diminish his holiness if I speak about him as a human being, not from his word, but from where I think about him and how I think of him. And I think this is, again, a great picture of calling us to be cautious and careful as we represent God and speak about him. But the justice of God kicks in. Even these two great leaders will have consequences for their rebellion. They won't enter the promised land. That's their consequence. And God says, because you've done this, you're not going to get to enter into the promised land. And then the water's pouring out. The people are getting to drink. They're being satisfied, but they're going to remember that this was the place. This was the place where the people quarreled with the Lord, it says, and through him, or, and through them, he, he showed himself holy. They quarreled. God showed himself holy by being just and saying to Moses and Aaron, you don't get to do that. You don't get to represent me in that way and not have a consequence, not have some sort of just judgment. But in his mercy, he doesn't cut them off. He just says, you can't enter the promised land. I think the, the beautiful picture here is that, that. That the Lord showed that he is holy and he is set apart. And he is different from Moses and Aaron. And he's different from the people of Israel. That's what holy means, set apart. And when they quarrel and complain, he's going to show them judgment, but he's going to show them mercy. And they experience both the mercy and the justice of God. Because he's set apart, because he's holy, he will respond with both of those things. But because he's loving and caring, he responds with his mercy. Because he's holy and set apart, he responds with his justice. Aaron and Moses don't get to enter the promised land, but they're not completely cut off from God. We're going to see in the New Testament, they're highly thought of and highly exalted even though they had this moment. 
God's mercy is still more powerful than their sin and their mistake. So what, what are we going to do with this? How do we connect this with Jesus? All of the, the thread is all about everything is connected to Jesus, right? The Bible is all connected to Jesus. Well, one place we see this actual story is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So here it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. The cloud that God used to guide them, they passed through the sea when it was open. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. He's going all the way back to the wilderness, and he's saying, listen, they were in rebellion, but God was always there, and he gave them spiritual food and spiritual drink. Even though he gave them manna, which was physical food, and he provided water through, these, through the rocks, which was you know, physical drink, he's saying those were spiritual too, that God has provided spiritual bread and water for his people. And that was always pointing ahead to Jesus, that he was providing for them, showing them mercy, that he would one day complete all that showing of mercy through the gift of Jesus. And so he keeps his people alive in the desert so that they could become this great nation and fulfill the promises that he made back in Genesis. So listen to John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is the metaphor now that God will use in the New Testament, that Jesus is the living water like God provided back in the Old Testament. And that was pointing forward to a living water that would be a kind of water that you could drink and never thirst again spiritually. And he says, I would have given you living water and water that you would never become thirsty again. And this is what he says in John chapter 7. Jesus says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Why? Because God is merciful. And he's offering to us, through Jesus, living water. And Jesus is standing there, speaking to a Jewish audience that would make the connection all the way back to Numbers chapter 20, when he says, if anyone thirsts, like our forefathers thirsted when they were in the desert, let them come to me and drink. So every time you hear that in the New Testament, this idea of water and living water and being thirsty, it would connect us back here to Numbers chapter 20, where God in his mercy Show, met their need and provided the, this living water that sustained their physical life, but was also supposed to show them his mercy and his grace that would sustain their spiritual lives. When they saw that water coming out of the rock, they were supposed to remember and see that God is merciful and gracious because we were over here grumbling and he gave us water. And now in the New Testament, we see that same grace and mercy through the living water of Jesus. Now, it's kind of a different message and a different passage, but what can we do with this practically? What can I, how can I take this now and apply it practically for us today? First of all, I think we can look at what happens when, when leaders fail. That's one part of this passage. When leaders fail, it impacts everybody. So the failure of leaders it reminds us that there is one leader that we should fix our eyes on. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. There is one that I can fix my eyes on who will never fail, who will never let me down. I might not like sometimes what I have to go through, but he will never fail me. And one of the things that happens is we can get our eyes on human leaders and they will fail us. Uh, for those of you who are, who are students and college students, I have, I have a hard word for you this morning. There's going to be a lot of people in your life that will fail you. There will be people that will let you down. And some of us who are a little older can raise our hands and say, yes, we've been through that, and we have probably been the ones who've let people down before. But here's the thing. There is one that we can focus our eyes on, and author of Hebrews said, fix your eyes on him, because he will never, never fail. Philippians 3.17 says, brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And when we do put our eyes on human leaders, we should follow those who are following Jesus. Paul says, as I follow Jesus, you follow me. So I'm going to say this as your pastor. When I'm walking and following Jesus, I think it's a good thing for you to follow. <laughs> okay? When I'm not following Jesus, don't follow. Okay? And as a human being, there's going to be times when I'm listening to the Spirit and following the Lord, and I want to invite you to when I'm being obedient, just like when you're being obedient to Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to imitate you. But when we're not following Jesus, when we're not acting and living in consistency with that, then don't follow. But when a brother or sister in Jesus is walking in obedience and growth, they can be an example to us. So we got both of these things. Pick the right examples, those who are following Jesus, but then ultimately keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Two other applications from this passage. Um, the second one is that God is merciful, so praise him. I just invite you to praise God this week for his mercy. He is merciful toward us when we sin. And just like he was toward the people of Israel and Moses, he didn't cut them off, he was merciful to them. And we should also then be merciful towards others. So the two sides of this, toward us, I should praise him because he's merciful to me, and then I should be merciful to other people because of his mercy to me. But ultimately, just spend some time praising him for how merciful he is. And God is just. This is actually a great truth. I should praise him because he is a just God. He, he, there is consequences for our sin. And when we rebel, there are consequences, just like Israel and Moses faced. But we're not cut off. And those consequences have, have limits and they have the borders of the character of God. And that's the beautiful part about it. And because he's just towards us, we should want to be just towards others as well. And so when we see injustice and when we see people, um, especially leaders in this context, leaders who aren't being accountable for their sin and the things that they're doing and their rebellion towards God, we should be just and we should be seeking that in the lives of others while we're also being understanding God's justice in our own life. But we should praise God that he's a just God. It is a good thing that God is just. If he wasn't, he would not be a good God. And finally, I invite you to praise God that he is just and merciful so our eternal consequences and judgment for our sin can be done away with by faith in Jesus. 
by faith in Jesus and his mercy towards us, the eternal consequences, the judgment for my sin, it's all taken care of. So today, I just invite you to embrace, to rejoice in, to be grateful for Jesus, the living water. Because just like God wanted to do in Numbers 20, he wasn't going to scold the people. He wasn't going to condemn the people. He was just going to show them mercy by pouring out abundant water. Jesus, the living water, wants to just pour out his grace and mercy on you and I. And I invite you to drink. (laughs) Drink deeply of the living water that's being poured out for you and for me.